We live in a fallen world and the air we breathe in our culture is completely messed up and the portrayals of sex and intimacy that you get even in movies and things that don't show anything, they're not explicit, but the implications that are there in a rom-com or something are pernicious, they're just evil and they're simply not true because the, the implication is it's, it's easy and wonderful and great and everything else. And the truth is it's at its best it's wonderful, at, at its worst it can be deeply disappointing and most marriages have a bit of both. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Christopher Ash. Christopher is a writer-in-residence at Tyndale House in Cambridge, England, and a full-time preacher, speaker, and writer. He previously served as the director of the Proclamation Trust's Cornhill Training Course and as a minister and church planner. He's also the author of a number of books, including Married for God, Making Your Marriage the Best It Can Be with Crossway. Today, Christopher and I discuss how to navigate conflict in marriage. He reflects on some of the struggles that he and his wife had wrestled with over their three decades of marriage, shares biblical wisdom for working through disagreements related to money, sex, and kids, and offers practical advice for couples who feel like conflict has become the norm in their marriage. Let's get started. Christopher Ash, thank you so much for being here on the Crossway Podcast today. It's really good to be with you. So how long have you been married to your wife, Carolyn? Carolyn and I were married in 1982, so 37 years and a bit. Wow. So as you think back to those early days of married life, does anything stand out as surprising or unexpected about marriage, whether good or bad? I think we were both surprised how hard the first year or two were. We're we're very happily married. We're very fond of each other in every way, but just adjusting. We are very different. Very, very different. And the first year or two, just rubbing off the sharp corners um, was pretty painful sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I think that that seems to be a pretty common refrain you hear from married people. Maybe that the the honeymoon period wears off more quickly than we would have expected. And uh, maybe conflict or disagreement Uh, at a level that we didn't even experience before marriage sort of becomes a reality. What were some of those things that were difficult in those early days as you guys were living together for the first time? Yeah, I think all all sorts of expectations as to how to do life, how to relate to your families. When our children were born, so our our, our first son was born, what, within the first two years Mm. of marriage, so relatively soon. And how to bring him up. We, we often disagreed all through. We've got three sons and a daughter, and we would often disagree as to how to discipline them. And that was really painful. Um, and it just was very, it was very hard. And also understanding. I mean, I was brought up, I have a brother. I went to rather strange schools with just boys in England. That's more common in the UK than it would be in the United States. Yes, probably, probably. I didn't understand how girls ticked. I knew that I liked them, but I didn't understand them. So when I found myself married to one, however lovely she is, and she's very lovely, I kept thinking, I don't understand how you tick. How much of marital conflict would you say is related to that? Just that men and women are different. Individuals are different, but certainly even men and women are different. Um, and it just takes some time to figure that out. I think, I think quite a lot probably is that. But also our, our, our backgrounds. So things like I gradually became aware of how deep an impact Carolyn's relationship with her father had had on her. 
he, he wasn't always an easy man and, and that had affected the way she related to me it, it kind of bounced on a generation yeah. yeah that's been a surprising thing that I know I've my wife and I have realized and, and talking to other couples they've also realized just the impact the big impact that our own family histories have on how we think about life in general uh, are there any other ways that you've seen that at work in your own life Yes, I think so. I think um, uh, my family was very, probably a little bit dull, but I mean, it was secure and straightforward and you got on with life and you did a job and you tried to do it decently. And that, that was the kind of upbringing I had. Carolyn's was a little different in some ways and just the kind of, un, it's like bringing suitcases into marriage. You, you, you think you're marrying someone, it's just them, but there's all sorts of suitcases that you bring and they bring, um, full of all sorts of clutter and clobber. Some of it really good and some of it not so good. Mm. Yeah, how how have you guys navigated the reality of in-laws and um, just thinking through, uh, as you've kind of alluded to, when, when, you, when you marry a person, you're kind of marrying their whole family. Mm. Yes. Uh, I mean, our, our parents have died now. They live to ripe old age, but they've they've died now and we gradually got used to them and to relating to them. In fact, the last to die was my mother and Carolyn, my wife, was so sweet with her. I mean, it was almost like the book of Ruth. I mean, it was wonderful. I remember a nurse in the care home saying to Carolyn, you're like a daughter to her. I mean, she was really sweet and that was lovely to see because my mum hadn't always been the easiest. Mm. So it wasn't always, the relationship wasn't always necessarily like that. No, it wasn't always like that. It was lovely to see that by the end. It wasn't always like that. We didn't have huge fireworks, but that's partly because of our sort of English middle-class culture. Things tended to get <laughs> papered over, even if they're not very happy. It wasn't like if we'd been Italians or Spanish or something, we'd have had great fireworks and then settled down. As you think back on your work as a pastor over the years, shepherding everyday Christians in churches, what have been some of the most common causes of conflict in marriage that you've had to counsel people through or that you and your wife have experienced yourself? I think it, just thinking as a pastor, I, sometimes it relates to career, uh, one or it could be either in our contemporary culture, uh, prizing their career perhaps above their marriage. And sometimes that causes tensions, and sometimes it's just straight ungodliness uh, that that a husband needs to say to his wife, "Look, you know, our marriage is more important than my getting promotions and so on." And I think, particularly men, sometimes think, you know, I'm free to go where I want and get any job I want, and my wife will just tag along with me. And some wives are very wonderfully loyal but some of us husbands need to be a little bit more considerate i mean i think to be to be really honest the physical side of marriage and sex can be can be a source of tension in all sorts of marriages and as a pastor you you know people will sometimes talk to you about these things and it's a good thing they do because then you can talk with them about the bible's teaching and you can pray with them they know they're not on their own in these things but sometimes i think we pretend that that is just sort of happening and that that's all just fine and sometimes it's wonderfully fine but sometimes it really isn't mm. yeah do you feel like you've been surprised by how often people have come to you with with sex and intimacy being a struggle for them in their marriage I think I'm getting less surprised as time goes on. We live in a fallen world 
and it's not so, you know it's all messed up the 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 air we breathe in our culture is completely messed up and the portrayals of sex and intimacy that you get even in you know in sort of movies and things that don't show anything they're not explicit but the implications that are there in a rom-com or, or something are pernicious they're just evil and they're simply not true uh, because the the implication is it's it's easy and wonderful and great and everything else and the truth is it's at its best it's wonderful at, at its worst it can be deeply disappointing and most marriages have a bit of both mm. so what kind of advice then have you offered to couples who are struggling through some conflict related to intimacy well, you know obviously each situation is unique and different but are there s- large strands of advice or guidance that you've offered to couples on those lines? I think we've often said, and we've found because we're now in our 60s, um, that a young couple may feel that we're kind of safe to come to as an older Christian couple. We're not going to sort of tweet everything they've said to mm. us. You know, they know they're safe with us. And they know you've, you've probably been there too. Yes, yes. And, and so I, I, we've often said to people, if I'm somewhere else and we, we, we don't live there, I've often said, is there an older Christian couple you can go to and talk to? And just conscious what a help that can be. I mean, we've prayed with couples through infertility issues, which are deeply painful, all manner of different things. And I think sometimes just to have an older Christian couple, they can't solve it. They can open the Bible with you and, and, and it remind you of what you already know from the Scriptures. Um, but they, you know, they're on your side. They know you're, you're praying for them. Hmm. Well, I think, I, I know my wife and I have experienced this uh, related to a whole host of struggles in marriage, is just knowing that other people have faced the same things, are facing some of the same things, that, that you're not unique in some of the struggles that we face in marriage. It's is so a helpful. huge encouragement, isn't it? You know, because sometimes a young couple will come and, and, and talk to us and you can almost see the relief on their faces when they realize that they're, they're not the first couple mm-hmm. in history to have faced some of these struggles. Mm. How about uh, money? That's another category that can often lead to conflict in marriage. What have you seen as, um, as, as maybe patterns of uh, ways that conflict has worked itself out in your own experience? I think debt can be a big problem. I don't know if that's true in North America, certainly in the UK where I live, um, coming into marriage with a debt, maybe credit card debts or, um, you know, I'm not talking about a mortgage, but but more serious debts. That can be a really big issue. And different approaches to saving and spending. Uh, it can, can be a huge tension. Mm. We've been very thankful. We've, we've had families who've been generous. We've always had enough, more than enough, really. And, and Carolyn's wonderful. She'll always live, you know, we live well within our means. And so that's not been an issue for us. But as a pastor, you realize that that's not the case. And some people come into marriage with a, with a history of uh, making bad spending decisions and mad, bad borrowing decisions. And maybe their parents have done the same. And that can be a really, really big thing. So I've, I've realized that you do need to talk through those, those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, another maybe final large category uh, of um, where conflict can often kind of arise is related to children. So whether it's questions about whether or not to have children, how many children to have, but probably even more so after children come in a marriage, 
that just adds a whole layer of complexity and stress at times to the, the home life. So what have you seen, again, along those lines in your experience counseling people? I realize again and again what a blessing marriage is and what a curse it is to be living together unmarried. Most people in the UK would live together unmarried. They might get married later, they might not. I'm guessing in North America. I think we're, I think we're heading more and more in that direction as the norm. I mean, that is just, that is the norm. I don't envy them because you're, you're, you're always on performance, aren't you? And, and, and you know when you're married, I know marriages do break up tragically, but they are way more secure. All the social statistics demonstrate that. They are far more secure than living together unmarried. In terms of the relationship continuing. Yes, yeah. yes just simply in terms of the relationship continuing. And you're, you're, you're married. I mean, Carolyn and I, thank God, we both came from homes where our parents were together and stayed together. I mean, that's not very normal now. And it's a great blessing. So we kind of came into marriage with the assumption you get married and by God's grace you stay married and you go through some rough times. And often when children are young, funnily enough, yesterday we had friend, uh, breakfast with friends who've, who've had twins and we were staying in Ohio with, with friends who have twins. And you realize we, we never had twins, but you realize when twins come, um, you know, that the, the stress levels come on steroids. I mean, it's just <laughs> huge. It's a blessing. It's wonderful. But... Oh, it's, it's, it's intense sometimes. Intense. Yeah. Oftentimes the issues and the, the decisions that come with children can feel so significant because they aren't just involving you yourself or even your spouse, but they involve people that you love so deeply and are responsible to care for so deeply. Have there ever been times in your life when you and your wife have disagreed on um, the best course of action with your children. You mentioned discipline was an area where you guys struggled to agree sometimes. How did you work through that together as a couple? There are times when it was very painful. We've oh, we've certainly disagreed. We've disagreed about schooling decisions. We've disagreed about discipline decisions as they grew, how much freedom to give at what stage. I often feel I've been a very bad father, really. I just think I'm very conscious of so, so many, so many mistakes. Um, uh, but we've worked, we have worked through them. They, you, you hang on in there, you wait, you, you have the conversations, you listen, you talk through them, you apologize, you forgive. How, yeah, how, how important is apologizing and forgiving for a married couple? I think it's really important. I, I'm not very good at apologizing. I hope I'm a bit less bad at apologizing. Carolyn's very good at forgiving, very long-suffering, really important. I think perhaps particularly for us men, just to put our hands up and say, I'm sorry I was wrong, which is not the same as I'm sorry you felt hurt or I'm sorry I upset you, but I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that. Mm. And that's a very good thing to do. It's easier to do when you know that your wife is forbearing and forgiving and that she will forgive you. I think some pressures in marriage come when it's both ways round, but when a man isn't sure whether his wife will be willing to forgive what he's said. Mm. But he still has a responsibility to apologize. Must still do that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But you've got all these, these, these decisions about children, and they really reveal your heart as to what you most deeply long for in a son or daughter. 
And there's something, you know, because there are all sorts of idolatries in Cambridge in England where we live. Um, education is a big idolatry. Academic success, it's a clever place. And the, the, the danger is that Christian parents will unwittingly buy into that and they will mind more about their exam success of their children or, or, or whatever, which college they get into. They'll mind more about that than they do th about their children following Jesus. Mm. Yeah. So a lot of conflict in marriage is caused or maybe at least exacerbated by poor communication. Uh, what practical advice would you offer to couples on that front? I, I remember somebody once saying to us, uh, an older pastor, that people talk about quality time, but actually you need quantity time. Actually, there is no substitute for having unhurried time when you're not both completely exhausted, lasting at night, it's often a bad time. And that's often the time that, especially parents with young children, that's the time that you try to have these conversations and spend time yes, together. Yes, and it may be the only time you can, uh, but it's not always the best time. You're about to sort of hit the pillow and one says to the other, can we talk about this? We've had some pretty bad conversations at that time. <laughs> um, but, but just that actually time to go for a walk, listen. It takes time sometimes for what we really think and feel to come out. Because we're used to saying what we think we ought to say. And it takes time. I've found with my wife, it takes time to give her space and time really to say what she genuinely feels and thinks and for me to listen to that. And it's not always that the person is holding back intentionally or trying to put... It's, we don't always even know what we think about things. Yes, it takes time to formulate it and to, to, to express it. So how have you and your wife balanced the, the importance of speaking positively and optimistically about your marriage and about each other especially when it comes to other Christians, you know, in your church, say, with the need for being honest and transparent about the things that you're struggling with and the things that you might need help with. I think sometimes um, we can feel a tension there of, you know, I maybe I feel like I need help. I feel like things aren't great, but I also don't want to speak bad about my wife or bad about our marriage. How have you navigated that tension? Praising one another is a great thing, isn't it? I mean, I find it not difficult to praise my wife. She's very lovely in all sorts of ways, and it's not difficult to praise her. She's not very good at math, but <laughs> hey, I'm not sure that really matters. She's really, really lovely. She makes friends well. It's lovely to, to focus on being able to, to speak positively where it's genuine and true and heartfelt uh, and, and, and clearly right to do that and not to neglect to say those positive things, not just to take them for granted. That's so easy to and do. And to say them to one another privately and to say them about one another publicly. And in that context, to say, actually, we, you know, it's been really difficult recently. We've been, I've been stressed and short-tempered or whatever it is. And these aren't shock horror revelations, are they? I mean, people, people listening to them think, oh, yeah, they're human and touched with sin just as we are. Mm, yeah. Yeah. How important has it been for you and your wife to have other married couples to kind of do life together with and to share these things with? I think it's been really good. We've often had good times when we've had a meal with just one other couple. And at the, I mean, we'll talk about all sorts of things, but uh, we'll often close the evening with some prayer together. 
And that's really good. The other thing we've both found really helpful is um, I've, I am at the moment and in the past I've sometimes been in a prayer triplet with a couple of other guys and, and there's a couple of men I meet with in Cambridge each week. And just that encouragement of we all want to, you know, we want to encourage each other to follow the Lord faithfully, to live with a good conscience, to walk with Jesus, to serve him. And for Carolyn, you know, in a very feminine way, to have women friends, Christian women friends, has been a really valuable thing. And I think sometimes the pressure you get is where where you, you, you get a couple who, who buy into the sort of society's idea of coupledom, where they just gaze into each other's eyes and each is everything to the other. And they cut themselves off from their friends, the, the man from his men friends, the woman from her women friends. And that can be very stifling. I think that can happen often in those early months and years of marriage even. There's this... Uh, I've just I've I felt that temptation. I've seen other couples sort of do that as well uh, in those first days. And especially where a couple move, you may, maybe for work they move to a different part of the country or whatever. And and we we've we've often if we've mo- we've moved quite a bit, and we've taken to praying when we move, particularly that Carolyn will make some really good women friends. No, oh, good to pray that I make some good men friends as well, actually. How significant has what Scripture says about marriage uh, been to you and your wife as as you've thought about not just your marriage generally, but navigating conflict? I think of the classic passage that speaks to marriage, Ephesians 5, where the Apostle Paul is, is really drawing connections between marriage and what Christ has done for his people. Speak to speak to the role that that passage and others like it have played in your own thinking and approach to these issues. Uh, it's been hugely significant, and grappling with the Ephesians five or Colossians three or one Peter three, the three passages that speak about the husband's Christ-like headship and the wife's Christian submission, which are really explosive in our culture. Um, but grappling with those and trying to, to see how, how, how does my calling as a husband to be a Christ-like, sacrificial, I think C.S. Lewis said the only crown that a Christian husband has is a crown of thorns, um, which is well put, wasn't it? You know, that, that, that's, it's not a recipe for male chauvinism and men getting everything we want. It's a recipe for sacrifice. And, and me getting to grips with that and thinking, what does it mean now? So to serve my wife in ways that are not pleasing me and making everything easy for me. And I guess the same is true for my wife, thinking, what does it mean to be Christ-like in submission? I think we've often got it wrong in all sorts of different ways. But those passages have been really, really significant for us. Yeah, Yeah, I think a lot of us hear those words, headship, and then even especially submission, and the first thing that comes to mind is a husband who just sort of always gets his way, always makes his voice heard over and above his wife's voice, and then a, a wife who just is sort of dominated and doesn't have a say and uh, isn't cared for in, in any way. How often do you think that's actually been the case in your experience working with married couples? I think you see it in different... It, often it reflects the culture. So the liberal culture that we live in in Cambridge, you're more likely to see 
um, a wife dominating or, you know, hard for a husband to know what it is to be a man and to be a husband and to exercise any kind of lead because our society says that's all wrong. So you see that. But in other more conservative cultures, you sometimes see you know, the man thinking this is, this is a free pass to doing what I want and just being a little tyrant. And you see the pattern distorted in different ways. And you see the wife who thinks, well, I'll just, I'll just be sort of mousy and let him walk all over me. And then she ceases to be the helper of Genesis 2. To, to work alongside him, serving God together. Or the great wife at the end of the book of Proverbs, who are, who are women of great dignity and, and um, really serving alongside their husbands. Or, and you get this quite often, I think, in, in the culture that I live in, the husband just abdicates and thinks, I'm going off to the golf course or the sports club and, or, the, or the office or wherever I work because that's a much easier place to be. Uh, and, and sometimes wives don't help because th th they don't give the husband much chance to, to give any kind of lead. Um, so it's a delicate relationship, and I've seen it distorted in lots of different ways. Mm. Yeah, what advice or counsel would you offer to the person who, who, who wants to live out their God-designed calling as a husband or wife, but their spouse isn't really interested in that, maybe isn't even a Christian, how, how should they pursue that when there's not that you know, ideal, reciprocal kind of mindset? To some extent, there never is, because even in a Christian marriage. But yes, I think 1 Peter 3, which is addressed to wives, whose, some of whose husbands are not believers, is a very helpful one, because Peter is saying to the wives, you know, be a Christian wife. Um, e even though it's hard, don't constantly nag your husband, but be a godly wife. And I guess the same applies the other way around, that you know, a Christian man may be married to a, a, a wife who's not a believer, and she may be an aggressive secular feminist, who knows, in which case it's not going to be easy for him to give a Christ-like lead. But just to seek to go through each day with a clear conscience and to do what he can. Okay, so I, maybe as a, a last question, I'd love to go through three categories of couples who might be experiencing conflict to some extent, and I'd love to hear uh, if you could offer three practical steps, next steps for each of these couples uh, for, for moving forward in their relationship. So the first category would be dating or engaged couples uh, that are eager to lay a good foundation for their marriage, especially when it comes to handling conflict together. What, what three practical steps would you say, do these things uh, to, to start down that road? I think one would be um, try to prioritize the friendship while dating and keep the temperature low on the physical side of things so that you can really concentrate on relating as friends and learning to... So that would keep the temperature low. So relating as friends to each other? To each other, to each other. The second would be work hard at listening. Don't assume that you know what the other one means. Uh, listen. And maybe even that old... I mean, it's a bit hackneyed, but the, the sort of saying back, so you're saying this... 
I know it's a bit artificial and a bit cliche, but there's something there of thinking I'm really listening and I really want you to know that I want to understand what you're saying. I think that's a really helpful thing. And the other is beginning to model saying sorry and forgiving. Okay, so then uh, second category would be married couples who are struggling with conflict on a regular basis. I think I would advise them to keep walking with the Lord, keep reading the Bible and praying on their own, their personal devotions and their church belonging. Because if they're following Jesus and walking with Jesus, all sorts of things fall into place and they're confessing their sins and realizing how much the Lord has forgiven each of us. Matthew 18, the unforgiving servant, if he grasped how much he'd been let off, that would transform. So that's probably the biggest thing, uh, walk with Jesus. The second would be, don't be afraid to get another couple or somebody, a pastor or someone in to help. Often where where conflict becomes a sort of, the chemistry becomes toxic and you, you're always going into conflict, not just occasionally, but it's just becoming the norm. To sit with a third person or another couple who aren't taking sides um, can really help because you you think quite carefully what you're going to say when there's somebody else listening. <laughs> you know, if it's just the two of you, you you can get heated and not set a guard over your tongue. But if there's someone else there, it's really helpful. So not to be afraid to do that. Uh, that that would that would be a, a a second thing, and to ask friends to pray. You know, you probably don't want to say it at the church prayer meeting. But to ask, you know, selected friends, say, look, we're really struggling with conflict. It's becoming a very painful thing that's becoming all too normal in our marriage. Would you pray for us? You know, a man maybe to say this to other men or a wife to other women. And then, uh, in a sense, they can then say, so how's it going? And it might be very specific. It might be there's some message or WhatsApp message or something, please pray. This evening we've got a parents meeting at the school. We usually quarrel. Um, could you pray that we won't? And then a prayer partner can, can say the next day, how did it go? That can help. Mm, yeah. All right. The final category would be the married couple that isn't just struggling with conflict on a regular basis, but maybe they're at a breaking point. And they're maybe even wondering if their marriage can continue. What would you... What would you counsel them to do? Oh, it's really hard because the levels of pain and misery can be so intense. I think I would, I would want more than anything else to point them to the faithfulness of God, the unchanging covenant faithfulness of God to us in Christ, and that nothing can change that if I'm in Christ. Because often that security... It means you're, you're, you're standing firmly on a rock. You feel as though the whole uh, the world is moving all around you and you, there's nowhere safe to stand, but there is if you're in Christ. I think I would say that first. Second, I think I would, I would say d don't underestimate, don't overestimate how easy it would be to split and don't underestimate the blessings of holding on. I mean, there are, I think there are times where it's right for somebody to walk out of a marriage. I think 
you know, sometimes adultery or repeated adultery would seem from the scriptures that that's justified. I think there are times when physical abuse, somebody just has to be out of it. That overrides other things. But I think there's a great many marriages where it's really difficult and painful. But it may be that in 30 years' time, they'll thank God that they hung on in there. I think there have been a number of marriages where that's that's been the case. So So don't overestimate how easy it'll be outside and don't underestimate how um, the, 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 the benefits of just hanging on in there. Any other, is there a, a third? I, yeah, I think you're trying to serve God in your marriage and the marriage is not there primarily to meet my needs. Uh, we, we, our society says the whole relationship's there to make me feel good or to make us feel good as a couple. Um, but I'm here to serve God. I'm married, so I'm here to serve God in my marriage, just as an unmarried person should wake up in the morning and think, yeah, I, want, I want to serve God in my unmarried state. I think I want to serve God today. I want to walk with a clear conscience. What, however difficult, whatever's said to me, I want to, to speak the truth. I want to be generous. I want to show the character of Christ in my marriage. I remember talking to a friend whose marriage was, well, sadly did break up, but I was saying to him, you can't control what your wife will do or say, but you can resolve to walk through today with a clear conscience. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's, that's pointing people beyond their marriage and, and pointing them to a, a deeper, uh, a higher reality and responsibility that we have to God himself. Very much so. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast and sharing from your own life and from the scriptures uh, how it is that we can walk faithfully and in love with our spouses, uh, even in the midst of conflict. It's been a joy to be with you. That was Christopher Ash on Navigating Conflict in Marriage. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Married for God, Making Your Marriage the Best It Can Be, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.